She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. The question that this committee must now ask is, why? Why did President Trump choose to replace Attorney General Sessions with an outspoken critic of the special counsel instead of with any number of qualified individuals who had already received Senate confirmation? At no time has the White House asked for, nor have I provided, any promises or commitments concerning the special counsel's investigation or any other investigation. Mr. Attorney General, we're not joking here. And your humor is not acceptable. Now, you are here because we have a constitutional duty to ask questions, and the Congress has the right to establish government rules. The rules are that you are here. We'll have plenty of stunts. We're going to have plenty of theatrics. Bring your popcorn. I'm thinking about maybe we just set up a popcorn machine in the back, because that's what this is becoming. It's becoming a show. And now, Stacey Washington. <laughs> the sparks are flying. Uh, that was acting Attorney General Whitaker. He, he just, he is a different kind of a guy. And I love it. I love it that he's not allowing the Democrats witch hunt to uh, kind of make him into one of their little tragic figures where they get to attack him and tear him down and make him look like a fool for their own benefit. And so welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Happy Friday. It's good to be back behind the microphone again. We have a ton of things to get to today. Uh, we're actually going to be speaking with a fantastic guest today, Chad C. Pecknoll. He's the Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at the Catholic, Catholic, Catholic University of America. We're going to be talking about infanticide, abortion, racism with the Tran-Northam Ben Sass pro-life bill. He's got an interesting perspective on that. We're also going to have Open Line Fridays, which means we're going to talk to you. Call lines are open at 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. I want to uh, do a quick promotion here. Uh, we are still providing days of safety for women and children who are trapped in the sex trade in Mumbai, India with India partners. And one of the most wonderful things about this is that the rescues, this is an immediate result for these kids. Um, they're, they're just like any other kid anywhere, except they're in Mumbai, India, and they deserve every opportunity to be able to, I don't know, just, just have an opportunity to live without the stress and frightening nature of being a child who's suffering, uh, with this, this, it's just awful their parents, their mom specifically, being in the sex trade. So we want to ask you to provide one day of safety for $7.08, which is basically a couple of cups of fancy coffee for these children. And we are well into earning our goal for today. And we're so excited about that. You guys have been so responsive. The American Family Radio listeners and uh, online stream audience, just fantastic. You guys are the best. And so thank you so much for partnering with us. And you can give now at 877-616-2396 or go to AFR.net. That's 877-616-2396 or AFR.net to help us rescue children by providing a day of safety in India's red light districts. Thank you for your partnership and thank you for uh, just, just being here with us and making your home at American Family Radio. So now I want to, you know, we, we've got 
the Radical New Deal, which is, this is fascinating to me. The reason it's so fascinating is because when you look at what we're dealing with here, with um, the Democrats, they have a bit of a public cleaving off within their party. And it's progressives against these new progressives who are really socialists, but not the kind of socialists that are easy to defeat because these are socialists who insist that unlike other forms of socialism, because it's all socialism, that have failed in the past or are currently failing like the dumpster fire that's going on in Venezuela, they're saying theirs is different. It's not the same thing. And so they've presented to us options that honestly, you're, you're kind of looking at, you're like, well, how is this different from the old thing? How is this new socialism that you claim to have different from the old socialism? So what is this Green New Deal? So I, first things first, I saw all kinds of stories yesterday that I kind of skimmed through They were talking about everybody gets a new house. Uh, Everybody, uh, all of the buildings have to be rebuilt. The elimination of air travel, uh, you know, trains across the ocean. And I thought, wow, we're really mocking them pretty hard because why would they propose anything like that? But that is exactly what they proposed. It's um, It's not a joke. They're proposing to change the building standards and reduce carbon emissions stifle energy innovation, eliminate the use of fossil fuels. And it's a 10-year plan. It calls for the economic transformation of the United States as if we need transforming. That, that is the thing that is most stunning to me about any of these New Deal proposals is that in the past, a New Deal was presented because we didn't have social safety nets. We didn't, there were things that Americans didn't have. And Democrats wanted to solve that. And so you can understand why they would kind of say, let's do this, let's do that. The efficacy of it and how it has worked out, especially for certain populations like the black community and Hispanic community, those, those are up for interpretation. I would say some of it has been largely unsuccessful, especially like the war on poverty. We actually have more people in poverty percentage-wise now than we did back when they were talking about this stuff and implementing these ideas. But when you talk about like right now, like here in this space, 2019, what's wrong with American air travel? We have a billion flights a year, very few actual accidents like aircraft accidents. The biggest issue we have with air travel nowadays is that Americans are bigger than ever. We're taller than ever and we are more rotund than ever percentage wise. And the aircraft seats are smaller than ever. So you actually have to pay, you have to upgrade to get into a seat that a normal-sized adult can fit into comfortably for longer than 45 minutes. If you're on a short hop, you just cram yourself in like a sardine and put up with it. But with people who are significantly overweight kind of spilling over into the seat next to them, and there's these incidents that keep making the news of people getting upset with each other and shaming each other publicly on Facebook and all of that, the big issue with American airline travel is how can they balance the need to have cheap seats that attract flyers with the need to have enough seats on the plane to make each flight profitable because they have to buy fuel and maintenance and everything that's built into taking someone on a trip where the plane literally takes off and lands and you've paid for your seat. They want to eliminate that. They feel like we should be traveling by train. Never mind the fact that no train in existence can go as fast as a plane. This this is what they're working on, you guys. And I, I guess... If you're hearing like a little bit of angst in my voice, it's because I just, I'm actually, it's hard to shock me in some ways, but in other ways, it's absolutely easy to shock me when you come up with something like this. 
I'm not done. Elimination of air travel, replacement or upgrade of every building in this country. As if we don't already have some of the most energy efficient homes and structures in the entire world per capita, we're just killing it. Now, smaller countries might do better on, you know, you know, private homes and their energy efficiency, especially if you consider how many older homes we have that are still in existence that, you know, people aren't tearing down all of the old homes. We don't have all of our homes that people are living in new construction. But if you consider how people, you can actually weatherproof your home, with, no matter what the age is, you can replace the windows. You could, why would we need to tear every home down and start over? I'm still not done. Uh, a guaranteed federal job with paid vacation for every person in America, even if they're unwilling to work. I, I'll just go on. You're probably thinking, this is crazy pants. She's reading from some, you know, you've been hoaxed. This is a fake news report. It's not. It's not fake news. Now, they're light on the details on how this gets financed, the cost of which all of these programs is estimated to be anywhere between $2 trillion and $5.7 trillion or more. In other words, Thomas Sowell always says, compared to what, at what cost, what hard evidence, his second question, at what cost, this do that doesn't get answered here. The one who will not be named is quoted in the piece, I'm skipping ahead, but AEI resident fellow Alex Brill explained that regardless of cost, the unintended consequences of the Green New Deal are the worst imaginable. He writes that the financing through bureaucratic funding schemes could inhabit clean technology and energy efficiency innovation. So exactly the opposite of what these people purport to want. So we know now that prompted by government regulations on energy efficiency and the desire of Americans as consumers to have energy efficient homes and appliances that use less energy and less natural resources and waste less, we've seen innovations in every single sector of the market that pertains to anything that has to do with your home. Energy efficiency in dishwashers and all, all of the appliances that we use has skyrocketed. So much so that some of our appliances no longer work to the same level that they used to, specifically dishwashers. There's an article about that. I think it's over at the Cato Institute. And I remember sharing it some years ago. Unbelievable how much better a 20-year-old dishwasher works than a two-year-old or one-year-old dishwasher, partially due to the fact that they're not allowed to put as much water through the machine per cycle as they used to be able to, all thanks to regulations by government and the push by energy environmentalists that we just can't use it. We're using too much water. There are too many of us. Somebody has to die. So same thing with the washing machines, same thing with the toilets. Now, we can debate whether or not that's what we want, but as consumers, the regulations force us to use the low-flow toilets, the low-flow washers, and the, the dishwashers that run less water through them. It means we use less, so our water bills are lower, our electrical bills are lower, the efficiency might be lower, you might be running the dishwasher through twice or washing the dishes before you put them through, but you know, people never care about those unintended consequences. But that's what we're living with now, and we're all pretty happy, right? We, we can debate whether or not it's good, but we can say, you know, I, I have a working dishwasher, and I can go and buy another one if I don't like the way this one works and leave a review and, you know, whatever. But what they're proposing takes things to a level of command and control that only works in socialist or communist countries, and when people get mad about it, people have to die. That, that's, that's where this is, and I'm not exaggerating at all on that. 
Now, the energy innovation in the private sector would also be inhibited as private companies would seek federal financing instead of private investment for these green energy projects. So can you remember Solyndra and all of those other companies that got $500 million in you know, infrastructure dollars and green energy dollars, and they promptly burned through that money and then shuttered their doors? Michelle Malkin wrote the book on that. It was basically a handout to cronies of the Obama administration. No new green energy was created or maintained. And all of that taxpayer money, basically, we just burned it because it went to people who enriched themselves and then went out of business. This would happen again, only to an even more extreme level. Now, Transportation spending data shows highway spending in President Obama's nearly $1 trillion stimulus bill back in 2009 actually reduced state spending on highway projects by 81 cents <laughs> per, per mile. Do you see what I'm saying here? So in, in any case, no matter how you look at this thing, Americans don't get a better deal when Democrats propose huge government takeovers of sectors of the economy, industries, et cetera, et cetera. It's socialism, it's command and control, programming and planning, but it doesn't work because as Americans, as human beings, forget, forget this whole Americans thing. I love it. You guys know I'm patriotic as I'll get out. But this is really about humans. Humans don't behave the way the planners expect them to behave. Humans don't do the things that they've been forecast to do. Not everybody. And when the forecast humans, the ones who are behaving according to government plan, see others not behaving according to government plan. It influences how many people continue to behave in which the way that the planners said we would behave. And it goes against the fundamental directive that our founders left for us in the Constitution, which was that the Constitution would limit the government and make it more profitable for the private sector to handle the needs of our populace, no matter the size. These people are insisting on a certain level of investment in solar projects, another boondoggle not proven to provide good, clean energy or any kind of reliable energy on a massive scale. It works in some places, but not on a massive scale. We can't replace 88% of our energy production coming from fossil fuels with wind or solar. We already tried it. Those companies went out of business. It's laughable, actually, this Green New Deal. It's like it was written by drunk toddlers sorry toddlers don't mean to insult you all right when we get back we'll have chad c pecknold with us here on the show keep it here are you still stuck on the healthcare roller coaster Still paying those high premiums? And strapped into huge deductibles? Not knowing what's around the next turn? Well, then let me tell you about a sound, sensible healthcare choice that really is affordable. It's MediShare, the healthcare sharing solution people like you have been trusting in for more than 25 years. MediShare members report saving around $500 a month on their healthcare costs, and they never pay for things they don't believe in. Time to say goodbye to that healthcare roller coaster and say hello to MediShare. Call star star 345 to find out how much you can save on your healthcare. MediShare. Call star star 345. Message and data rates may apply.
That's star star three four five. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a legacy moment. Some things are more important than our comfort. Think of the sacrifices parents make because we love our children. We stay up with them when they're sick. We place their needs above our own. And if need be, no question about it, we'd lay down our lives for our children. This is an illustration of God's heart for the lost. God spared no price. He gave the very best he had, his son. It cost him. We need to reflect the same sacrificing love and compassion that God has for us to other unbelievers. Paul and Silas showed that kind of love toward the Philippian jailer. I love this story. Paul and Silas are locked up for sharing and preaching the gospel. They're having a midnight prayer vigil, singing and praising God. In the midst of all this worship, God breaks through. Literally, there's an earthquake. Listen to Acts chapter 16, verses 27 through 30. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul was committed to this man. He could have walked free that night, going on to preach to thousands. But it's interesting that he stayed put for one man. I wonder, Crawford, what am I really willing to put up with? What sacrifices am I willing to make for one soul? Here's what I want you to remember today. Your sacrifice and inconvenience could be used by God as he saves someone from eternal separation from him. More information about the ministry of Crawford Loritz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or urbanfamilytalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. with us today. We are so excited to have our next guest on the program. The subject matter is tough, but it's important for us to discuss it, especially since we're trying to delineate not just right from wrong, but what we will have as an acceptable practice in our country as it pertains to human life. We have Chad C. Pecknold. He's the Associate Professor of Systematic Theology at the Catholic University of America. Chad, thank you for coming on today. Thanks so much for having me, Steve. So, you know, I wish we were discussing how we were really seeing Democrats come together with Republicans and everyone uniting under the banner of a baby born. Any baby on this side of the womb is just as much of a person as you or I and deserves protection and, and uh, you know, service and care. But that's not what we're seeing here, is it? It, it should have been a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, to, to advance legislation that uh, we shouldn't kill babies uh, once they leave the womb, should be something that uh, should be the ultimate bipartisanship, right? Well, yes, we can all agree that we don't want to kill babies, but for some uh, a variety of reasons, some of them political and some of them moral, uh, we haven't arrived at that moment yet in America, and that is a very bad sign for us. So let's talk about this a little bit. I I, I actually, I'm not sure, if, do you, you don't have a radio on, do you? I'm hearing some echoing going on. No, uh, I, I don't have a radio on. Uh. Okay, so what, what I'm what I'm 
seeing in this, it's, it's a shift, obviously, from the previous mantra of safe, legal, and rare to this idea that really a woman's right to choose, that euphemism for killing uh, unborn babies, it now extends to beyond the womb. Because we, we've been making a devil's bargain with abortion since the Supreme Court made it lawful that a baby on the inside of the womb can be killed, but once the baby comes out of the womb, then it has status. So there's something magical going on in the birth canal that converts a clump of cells with no rights into a human being with the same rights as all of the rest of us constitutionally protected. And Democrats are now saying, you know what? We're not so sure if that birth canal is magical and if the rights are conferred on exactly at the moment of birth. Maybe the rights are conferred after the mom and the doctor have a discussion, completely cutting out the father, by the way. But there's a right. there's a shift in the thought process there. Well, or or a development to its logical conclusion, right? I mean, that's it, that. I mean, I think this is one of the things that I I think, at least I hope, is happening with ordinary Democrats is that I think those who are doing the thinking for the party are have run far ahead of where your ordinary Democrat is, uh, and certainly ahead of of where others are in the country too. That that the, as you say, there's no nothing magical that turns a baby in the 36 week uh, uh, to the inside the womb. And there's nothing magical that turns that into a person uh, once they come out of the womb. Uh, there, there's no magical uh, key to that. And so I think, rightly, if you if you want to defend abortion. As, as many do, you, what you want to say is the mother has the right to kill this child. And mm -hmm. so I think the, the radical Democrats are, in a sense, following the logical conclusion of if it's right to kill the fetus at any stage of, the, of its development in the womb, why isn't it right to kill the fetus uh, if the mother so desires that in consultation with her doctor? And... Isn't this something that has been broached before? I mean, it, I, for some people, they're like just kind of coming around to this news and they're they're shocked. Right. And I, I you know, right. God bless us all for for people who are just coming to the information. It is shocking. But for those right. of us, especially the Catholic Church has been at the, the forefront of the pro-life movement, um, really working hard to get people to understand that life is important from natural, you know, conception to natural death. Right. Haven't haven't members of Planned Parenthood's leadership and their training organizations haven't they presented this idea at conferences before? This is not actually new. This isn't new, as you say. It's new to the average person, even new to the average Democrat. I think, but this has long been an aim, especially with the fear that a shift in the court or a shift in legislative control at the federal level could hurt Planned Parenthood's agenda, they have advanced a very aggressive plan to, uh, in a sense, normalize and legalize this kind of afterbirth infanticide, um, which is a logical extension of, of their commitment to feticide. Um, and uh, they want to oppose any law that's going to restrict that, as they we're just capable of doing today in Louisiana. So let's talk about that. I was just thinking, I hope it's okay if I ask you, but <laughs> you you segued perfectly. Chad, what is going on with Chief Justice Roberts? Like, what yeah. what do we have to do to understand this man? Is it um, power? What What is happening with him? Yeah. 
as as a Catholic, I have to apologize for uh, Chief Justice Roberts. You know, Roberts is one way you get power on the Supreme Court is by being a swing vote, um, mm. and it seems like uh, Justice Kennedy has handed that mantle down to Justice Roberts. Um, he's the, the one good thing I can say is that those who are strong. Uh, strongly on the other side from me, those who are really strongly pushing for abortion also don't feel good about Justice Roberts. They're happy that he gave them a win today with Louisiana, but they are not in any way sure that he's going to vote with them in the future. So I think this is the explanation for Justice Roberts. Obviously, he wants to be someone who's uh, observing stare decisis. He wants to he wants to be able to say, look, I'm only deciding on the law. I'm only deciding on precedent. There was a second president here, and so he's deferring, uh, voting with the liberals on the court. Um, mm-hmm. That's, that's a, at least a partial explanation of why I think Roberts did not vote uh, the way I thought he should have voted. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you ask a fair question. Uh, uh, he, he's, he's our new Kennedy. Mm-hmm. You know, that's so disappointing, Chad, because I thought to myself, you know, if anybody could resist the tantalizing urge, you know, to be the swing justice, it mm-hmm. would be him. I, I actually was, to be honest with you, I had a little bit of concern, like not not full on, full blown concern, but just that little like it was like a little feeling, just a little horrible mean, yeah. like I kept pushing it down about Judge Kavanaugh. Not because he wasn't right. pro-life before, but because he went through that brutal confirmation process. And I wondered... Right. Does he have something to prove now? Does he need yeah. to prove to the, to the other side that he's, he's, really, he's really not an, an yeah. enemy of their, their... No, I think I had the same fear with Kavanaugh. Of course, um, uh, Kavanaugh's a, his, the, the injustice done to him in, in his confirmation process was yeah. so evident that even if you had those hesitations, I think many... Many people who uh, get, many people gave him the da- benefit of the doubt on that question, and, and I hope in the future he'll he'll be supportive uh, of the fight for life. I actually think well. So on this ruling, he's on the the side that we would hope he would be on. But I'm that's right. I, that's right. I hate to get too excited about him because I just feel like we there's no way for us like you and I, Chad, have never been through that. What what he went through. Even the most public right. humiliations pale in comparison to what he was subjected to. And yeah. I, I hope that it would change him for the, that he would even be more resolved to hold to his hold fast to his beliefs. But I also know that I'm he's a human you. being, you know, so I'm I, I've, I'm with you. I kind of just hold my breath and I read the article about the latest ruling. <laughs> and and, and I, I have to say the way he handled himself through that trial, I mean, he faced real suffering. And, and I, I think many Men, I'll just be frank. Men were were watching that case, saying, "Well, if they can do it to Kavanaugh, they can mm-hmm. do it to me." Mm-hmm. And he came through that and showed that if you present your your case, that there still can be justice, uh, and that, that your case can be heard. Uh, and I'm hoping that that, as you say, gave him resolve to say, "You know what? It's the thing that is." Right is the thing that we have to stand up for, and we have to stand up for the rights of the unborn. Uh, they deserve our representation. It's not a game of politics. It's a game of life and death, uh, not even a game. It's a serious uh, matter. And so I, I'm hopeful that the, uh, his future rulings will be consistently pro-life. 
So, uh, you know, the the liberals have a de facto additional member of their wing and Justice Roberts. Right. He won't be consistent. I, I don't I, I I'm not he even going to he's not going to be consistent. He'll just swing over there whenever it is to our utmost detriment uh, as pro-life people and people who are concerned with a biblical worldview. But Chad, what about the fact that so we haven't had an RBG sighting. I know they say she was at an event recently, but no pictures means she wasn't there, in my opinion. No, um, what about her? Uh, I think we're we're all prepared for for uh, Justice uh, Amy Coney Barrett. Uh, yes. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I mean, there are some other, and it needs to be a female justice, and it needs to be a justice that uh, is going to uh, be consistently voting on on the side of human life and dignity. Uh, and there's a couple other candidates, but clearly Barrett's the favorite. Um, um, my sense is. The fight over her will be vigorous. Uh, it's going to the, the the left is very very worried. They're very fearful. That's why they've got Governor Cuomo lighting up buildings. That's why they've got Virginia in shambles right now. We have um, the lieutenant governor, the former executive uh, lieutenant governor of Virginia, uh, who's been charged with alleged sexual assault, was a former Planned Parenthood ex- executive. Ooh, so we have, we little have known fact. Parents. Didn't know yeah. about that. Uh, yeah. So, you, so you've got you've got actually a very powerful uh, wing of what they call reproductive justice, but is really pro-abortion uh, lobby that is fearful. And I think one of the reasons they they are fearful and why they're pushing so hard and really overreaching in the states. I mean, mm-hmm. New York is over. Uh, Virginia's clearly overreach with the Swedish mission governor who wants to kill a baby on the table. If you make it comfortable, it'll be okay. If, if they are that fearful that they need to politically overreach in such a way that it's damaging their party in those states, you know that they're terrified that the court's about to swing. So let's, let's, let's talk about this, because I think the fear-mongering is really, it's just that, it's fear-mongering. As a pro-life person who I want mm-hmm. most to see the United States no longer have abortion as the law of the land, I am also yeah. aware that Roe v. Wade didn't actually mean that, you know, you could have abortions where you couldn't before. It just meant that all states had to make it available, or, or if, if clinics set up there, they couldn't stop it. If Roe v. Yeah. Wade is overturned by a newly conservative court... All mm-hmm. that happens is it goes back to the states. So women That's could travel right. to New York and kill a baby up, up up till it's on the table. Same thing in Virginia. If they if they, you know, elect new people in the fall, they would be able to do that there. In states like Missouri, That's you right. might find that you it would be very difficult to have an abortion after the first trimester. Um, you know, so it's That's it's right. th- this doesn't make abortion on on it doesn't take anything away except this idea that it's something to be taxpayer funded. Like I could see them overturning Roe v. Wade and then defunding Planned Parenthood and making it, you know, something that, that isn't constitutional because it's no longer the law of the land. It Planned Parenthood would simply see millions, maybe even a billion dollars pouring from Hollywood and liberals all over the yeah. country. They would still right. operate. They might even grow. Um, so what, what is this hysteria? I just, it's, and it's so brazen and open. It's like watching someone open their mouth up and instead of regular teeth, you see shark teeth. That's what it feels like. I mean, I don't know what you would think about this, Stacey. Maybe this sounds too radical to you, but but the, the 
abortion has become something like what Catholics call a sacrament. You know, it's a it's this visible sign for something that's deeply, deeply central to what the liberals believe about autonomy and and the power of choice. And and so it's something like a religious sacrament that they have to advance this as their central belief as to what makes a liberal society work. It works by this. It's not. It's 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 not. They don't see it as killing a baby, because they see abortion as delivering justice, delivering freedom, delivering all these goods. And this this has part of what makes it a civil war in America, because one half of America at least sees it as actually killing a human being, mm-hmm. and the other half sees it as delivering freedom. And this is kind of part of our current, what people call the Cold Civil War. We've, we, we fought a civil war once uh, about uh, uh, America denying personhood to a whole class of people, and now we're fighting another Cold Civil War, and I hope it stays cold, fighting over the, uh, the status of the person in the womb. And uh, I, I think it's fundamentally is something that is, it's breaking uh, down uh, the, the sense of, of can America stand together as something united. The fact that we're returning this debate to the state is very reminiscent of the kind of division that we saw in the 1860s. Mm. Well, I agree with you that it does it does kind of have some parallels there, but I think the the idea that the South really wanted to secede over abortion kind of was predicated on them all being in the same locale. So, you know, they were mm-hmm. knit yeah. together no, by the location. Yeah. It, it doesn't really work now because right. the pro-life population is interspersed among the pro-abortion population to such a degree right. that you're literally talking house to house and within the same home, people holding different views on it. But I do right. think what you're talking about, the division, um, there isn't a place for us to go to where we can calm it down because no matter right. what position we take, they keep moving further and further towards child sacrifice. And that's the yeah. part that is most concerning to me. I am I hear the music, but I'm so glad that you joined us today. I hope you'll come back and talk to us again. Yeah. Chad Pecknold. Talk to you. And Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. For the unborn. And Thank we will continue much. to pray for the unborn. And you're an associate professor, professor of systematic theology at Catholic University of America. And we really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Um, Thanks. Take care. We, you, you too. Take care. Have a great weekend. We'll be back with more after this. We'll take your calls. Keep it here. What does it take to live an uncommon life? Here's former Super Bowl winning coach Tony Dungy with today's Uncommon Moment. In 1978, football was the most important thing in my life but it wasn't going that well. I remember a teammate came up to me and he said, Tony, you profess to be a Christian and you tell everybody about God, but now when your career looks like it's teetering, you begin to panic. I think that was the first time I was able to look at football as something that God was allowing me to do, not something that should define me. Then the words of Matthew 16:26 started to sink in. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? God had me here for a reason, and it wasn't just to play football. 
New York Times best-selling author Tony Dungy, author of the popular Uncommon book series. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. That's CoachDungy.com. 2018 was the busiest year ever for Eight Days of Hope. Steve Tiber. Over 6,000 volunteers descended to Southeast Houston over a three-week period during Eight Days of Hope 14, 15, and 16 and helped over 1,000 families rebuild their homes all in the name of Jesus. Also, Hurricane Florence hit North Carolina. We had volunteers, leaders, and equipment in New Bern, Fayetteville, and Wilmington. And then, of course, Hurricane Michael striking the Panhandle of Florida. We were in Panama City Beach for five weeks, loving and serving families who had nowhere to turn. 2019 could even be busier as we plan to go back to some of these same communities to be a glimpse of who Jesus is by using the gifts he's given us to bless those who are looking for a glimmer of hope. Go to 8daysofhope.com, submit your email address, and we'll notify you of our plans in 2019. American Family Association is pleased to partner with 8 Days of Hope, and you can too. Learn more at 8daysofhope.com. Be the hands and feet of Jesus. Securing America. Border Patrol is on the look for new smuggling tunnels after a 50-feet-long tunnel leading from Mexico to the U.S. was found in Nogales, Arizona a month ago. This comes just months after another was found in San Luis, Arizona. The tunnel had digging tools inside and was submerged underwater, which Deputy Border Patrol agent Kevin Hecht and agents closed up before any illegal drugs could make it through. They might tunnel from the border to those drainage pipes and try to get around this main channel gates to, to dig around them. So that's why we have to have agents underground patrolling all the pipes. Patricia Kramer is the Arizona Ports of Entry Customs Officer President and believes there needs to be a strong stand against these tunnels. The cartels, I mean, they don't have what we have. They don't have all this red tape. They don't have to wait for head, their headquarters to give them the go on building a tunnel. They just get it done. They have the funds and they just get it done. And that's what we need to do. In Nogales, Arizona, Charlie LaPastora, Fox News. This is Stacy on the Right with Stacy Washington on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hello. Welcome back to the program. We actually have a lot of callers in the queue, so I'm going to hold on on our audio um, just to kind of give you a preview, though. Kellyanne Conway has actually, she has a case that's going up where someone assaulted her when she was out in public with her daughter and a bunch of the other girls, friends of her daughter. She was in a public place and she was assaulted. I have some audio of her describing the attack. And we're going to talk about that a little bit, but I want to get to your calls first because it's Open Line Friday and I love talking to the listeners. Okay, Randy in Missouri. Hey, thanks for calling the show today. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I wanted to chime in on this uh, revision of the Infant Protection Act yeah. that's being proposed. Yeah. Yeah. What? Well, a couple of years ago, we had this congressional investigation on Planned Parenthood and their baby trafficking um, deal and mm -hmm. found, you know, that there were numerous felony violations and um, also probably a violation of their tax-exempt status as well. And the response of this administration has been to fund Planned Parenthood twice, going back on a, you know, presidential promise uh, back in September, they re not only funded Planned Parenthood again for a second time, but they also included some um, baby parts, experimental stuff for their uh, health and human services through mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood, I guess. I don't know the details, but 
wouldn't it wouldn't it be better just to defund Planned Parenthood and take away their tax exempt status? I mean, after all, the um, part of that money that ta- that goes to Planned Parenthood uh, goes into the reelection uh, campaigns for people mm-hmm. that are promoting abortion to begin with, the and uh, yeah. you know, uh, the tax exempt status of Planned Parenthood is a tax code issue. The funding of Planned Parenthood is a budgetary issue. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about legalities, and and this proposed legislation is as nice as it sounds. It's unenforceable. It's uh, it's it's simplistic, and I don't think it's going to save any children. So you make some excellent points, and I want to I want to highlight the fact that when when you talk about the tax exempt status, what do they say when let's say your pastor or mine? gets up in the pulpit and starts talking about the scriptures in the Bible that uh, say that homosexuality is a sin or the scriptures in the Bible that say that abortion is a sin, that, that God, before God formed the deep, he knew us. He's numbered the hairs on our head. He, he literally uh, counts our tears and keeps them in the palm of his hand. He writes our name in the palm of his hand. When pastors speak about that, people in the audience who don't like the message report them to the IRS and the IRS threatens their tax exempt status. Yet, the IRS never speaks to Planned Parenthood about their obvious electioneering on behalf of Democrats through the funneling of donations. They never. So, again, double standard. And you're you're talking about something that we as taxpayers, we should be all up in arms because we're all forced to support Planned Parenthood. And then they, in turn, give some of that money the taxpayers gave them to Democrats. So you make excellent points that we're not organized enough. We, we're not. And our our elected officials on the Republican side are not single-minded enough. And I know one of the things that people always say is, Stacey, we had two senators. Uh, it was uh, Murkowski and Collins. They always vote for abortion because they're pro-abortion, but they're Republicans. The question is, how bad do we want it? What kind of arm twisting do you think went on when Dianne Feinstein had Lisa Murkowski pinned to the wall with her arm up in the ceiling trying to force her to vote against Kavanaugh? Why don't we ever have any of our people with those two in the corner telling them, look, we're talking about no funding for your campaigns. We're talking about striking you from the Republican register. We're talking about basically single issue. You either vote with us on abortion or you'll have to change your party affiliation because you will be persona non grata within our party. We'll even run ads against you in your state. We'd rather have Democrats take your seat than have you voting against us on abortion. But we don't have the stones to do it. We don't have them. And if we did, we could get some stuff done like Randy just said. Uh, let's go to Andy in Georgia. Hey, Andy, thanks for calling the show. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Hello? Hi, I, I can hear you. Hello? What's your comment? Oh, okay. My comment is, um, you said something about Judge Kavanaugh earlier. This is a mm-hmm. brief little something on take on this. Uh, about how he made it an example of uh, proof that you can win. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've got a bunch of money. Well, I'm living proof. If you ain't got a bunch of money and they've got some, something throwed at you like that right there and you didn't do it, and it's hard to, uh, it's hard to come out on top. They'll screw you over big time. So, just, uh, that you said that the people, other people can think they could be done like that too, they dang up sure can. <laughs> It's true. It's true. That that's the main thought that a lot of men were expressing on, on social media was, you know, if he's, he, if he's guilty without any evidence, if you, all you have to do is accuse him, then all of us are. But I saw the most pushback from women, women online saying, I'm 
I'm a woman. I have a husband. I have a dad and I have sons. And I don't want these men in my life to be subject to some random woman accusing them of something. And then they're automatically guilty. You make a great point, Andy. Thank you for calling the show today. Have a great weekend. Uh, Diane, thank you so much for calling the show. Hi. Hey. Um, I had a comment about abortion. Um, I believe the Democratic Party or and some of the Republican Party, um, they, they use abortion for population control. And if they ever get their hands on the American public in the socialized medicine, they're also going to control, uh, you know, whether your child gets treated for a disease or cancer or something that they think, well, you know, the doctor says there's only have, they have about an 80% chance of not making it. And the government can say, well, we're not going to put any money into that. Mm-hmm. Just take your child home and spend what time you have with them. And also with the elderly. You know, they see the elderly as just drains the government of money. And they'll stop treating them because they'll say, well, they're old and it's just going to take too much money and it's not going to prolong their life much longer. So we're just not going to perform that procedure. It, you got it dead on. That's how it starts. That's that's how it starts. It's first that that child isn't worth saving up. Oh, those old people cost too much money up. Oh, the government controls medicine, some board somewhere that never met you before decides whether or not you get that hip replacement or, you know, treatment for lung cancer, things that right now we routinely treat no matter what your age, then they start rationing it. And that's the first step is for us to have socialized medicine. But before we get to socialized medicine, you have to devalue the life of people who are inconvenient, newborn babies, babies in the womb, old people, anyone who's sick and infirm, anyone who's too expensive. You got it dead on. It, 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 I hope we're understanding this. It's, I know a lot of people who disagree with me on a lot of different things will say that, well, you just care about newborn or you just care about unborn babies. You don't care about babies that are already born. That is so not true. I don't know anyone who's pro-life that doesn't give a significant contribution to babies that are born and children. It's a part of what pro-life people do. It's not true. That is a slander from the enemy But there's something more to it, and that is that people are not inconvenient. Your mom who has Alzheimer's or your aunt who has Alzheimer's or your grandmother who has Alzheimer's is not inconvenient to you. You want them to live. But when you're talking about government bureaucrats and just raw numbers, the population control, it's already built in. We're already doing it because the populations that have the most abortions are the ones that are the most inconvenient. The permanently tanned population, black community, number one practitioners of abortion. Do you think that's accidental or do you think that's because that was Margaret Sanger's intent? We just have to be really wise and direct about how we just accept the facts associated with what we're discussing here. Uh, we have more callers. Aaron in Tennessee, thank you so much for calling the show. Hey, yes. I'm, I actually have a comment um, about abortion. Sure. Um, kind of like my personal story, but... I was actually raised as a teenager and become pregnant um, from that. And my first decision was to, of course, um, get the baby gone. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to think about it, um, and I didn't, couldn't even imagine actually going through with it. And called, I called um, one abortion clinic, talked to them on the phone, and I, I guess really it was just 
I was expecting maybe like sympathy or someone warm to answer the phone. And it was just such a cold, just what I felt was just what I was running away from, um, just that coldness. And so I had made the appointment, and then the appointment came, didn't go to the appointment. Um, and it was just like a constant a struggle between me because um, I was pro-life before this had happened. And it was just like something in me told told me that, you know, I'm not going to let this person, what he did to me, change my morals. And, you know, it's like I would already have to live with what's already happened. Plus knowing that I took the life of a child, that it wasn't that child's fault. You know, that child did not choose to come to the earth this way. And so I ended up, um, I did give birth to this child. I chose, I was going to choose adoption, but I actually kept this child. And um, I found a man later on that, a really good man, I ended up marrying him. Um, He adopted this child um, as his own. And it's just been, it's been better than I could have expected. Um, I know God used this um, for me. You know, ever since this has been going on um, about everything that's been going on with abortion and what they're doing, I just, I felt the call to do something and it's just, I'm like, what am I going to do? What can I do? Um, And so I'm like, well, I know I have a good story. So I've, I've been actually working with my local um, clinic that helps, helps Mm -hmm. women, you know, birth choice, um, things like that. And, you know, using my story, I'm like, what better way is to use what I've gone through to help other women? Because most women, when you hear about that, their first thing is, you know, they're not, they don't expect you to keep the baby and they don't think you can. And it's, it's very possible. It is very possible. It's not this child's fault. And you can mentally get through this when you hold that baby in your arms and you see the innocence of that child and that it wasn't their choice. You know, it changes everything. And I thank God every day that I did not make that decision because I don't know where I would be if I had made that decision as far as mentally, you know, I mean, it just would have, he would have taken more from me if I would have allowed myself to do that. So I'll hang up and listen, but I just wanted to uh, just kind of get my story out there. Thank Thank you. you. Thank you for sharing it. I know it it can't be easy, but it's so important for people like Erin to share. And as I was listening to her, you know, you can hear her heart that this was hard for her. It was not easy for her to, to make the decision she made, but God enabled her to be able to bear up underneath the circumstances. And the, the blessing that she has is not only the child, but it's a husband who would adopt that child and the new beginning and the part of her family tree that still exists to this day, possible grandchildren and other relationships that she gets to have because she has the child. So I'm not minimizing the experience that she had. No one is. No one is saying, oh, it's so easy. Just have the baby. But she made the point herself that she would have really destroyed any opportunity to allow God to work something good out of the horrible circumstance that she experienced by taking matters into her own hand and using abortion as a way to try to erase the experience, which is adding insult to injury. And so I just, you know, God bless her for sharing that and for actually now using her voice and her testimony to, to talk to other people, to encourage other people to just consider that you don't want to go to the death merchants at Planned Parenthood and allow them to enshrine something horrible like a rape into your psyche as a mistake that has been compounded by having an abortion. Um, 
And I can't stress enough how terrible it is to have to go through something like that. But God has a way of escape for us. When, when something awful happens to us, he's still there and he's, he has a way for us to escape. Um, I, we have, oh, we have enough time for at least one more call. Gloria in Oklahoma, thank you for calling the show today. Oh, yes. Hello, Stacy. Hi. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Um, sure. I'd like to comment on uh, uh, Judge Roberts. Yeah. Uh, I think it was a person. I think it was a personal thing with him. I think he dislikes President Trump like so many others do. And I mm. think this is a thumb in his eye because of President Trump calling for these reforms on this killing of babies. And they've already had one little round, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, not long ago. I think he's gone political, and I think we can probably expect more of the same from him. Uh, anyway, I'd like for you to comment, please. Thank you. Thank you, Gloria. So you're expressing what is my kind of my, my, my worst fear, which is, um, and I, I, I know there's like the back channel and the rumor about Justice Roberts not really liking President Trump, and he even came out and said that there is no liberal court, there is no conservative court, there are just justices and judges. And President Trump said, yeah, the Ninth Circuit proves you wrong. So they've actually had a verbal like altercation publicly between a chief justice of the United States Supreme Court and the president of the United States, which is unheard of. Um, they're not supposed to comment on political things or things that the president says. They're supposed to be impartial and silent. And so you, what you're saying has a ring of truth to it. I have no way of proving it. It's my worst fear that he would operate basically with Trump, with Trump derangement syndrome instead of as, you know, the chief justice of the Supreme Court. We got to pray for that man because he is on a path that will destroy his legacy. And, you know, that's something that outlasts these Sure, the decisions last on, but they can be changed. But the legacy, that's it. It just, it sticks with you. Um, okay, that's the first hour. Woo, that just went by so quick. We have more for you, but right now, if you're leaving the show, thank you for being with us. God bless you. Thank you for making your home at American Family Radio. And we'll be back with more after OneNewsNow.com, news and information for those who are sticking around.